0: You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy.
1: Hi, I'm Chris Ballew, and I make music for a living. In
0: 1995, Chris Ballou and his band, Presidents of the United States of America, rocketed to the top of the charts with hits like Lump and Peaches. They toured the world, were parodied by Weird Al, and were even nominated for a Grammy. 25 years later, Chris received another Grammy nod, but this time as a children's performer named Casper Baby Pants. Here's my chat with Chris Ballou. Who are you and what do you make for a living?
1: I am Chris Ballou, a former lead singer-songwriter for the Presidents of the United States of America, professional North American rock and roll band, and current Casper Baby Pants person making music for little children and their parents. And I make uh, music and art.
0: All right, so we've got a lot to cover here. In that one sentence alone, I need to roll all the way back. You started off, Presidents of the United States of America. How did that even start? Because that's what I originally know you for.
1: Right. Yeah. As do most people who don't have toddlers at this point.
0: Right. Um, I having a toddler know yeah, you.
1: It, it's sort of equalizing out where some people only know me as Casper Baby Pants now. Uh, you know, so especially the children that I started singing to when they were, you know, 10 years ago when I started, now they're old enough to really just know me as Casper Baby Pants. But. Residents started um, as many of the, uh, all the bands I'd been in up to that point started, just something fun to do with friends to alleviate the boredom of a pre-internet world. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, what are we going to do? Uh, Tuesday night, let's play a show or let's go down to the Pike Place Market, the Farmer's Market in Busk or, you know, whatever. It was just a way to keep life interesting. And so I had a series of bands that were all about just keeping life interesting, and that's presidents were one of them. And it just happened that the timing, I think, of the uh, mood of the music we made, dove, and where we were coming from in Seattle and everything, dovetailed in with the grunge times and the sort of uh, maybe a little restlessness to get back to the party, to the fun, fun times, and um, not to disparage grunge and. In retrospect, you know, we were always under pressure to come up with like a catchphrase for our music. I came up with it like two years ago, very late. <laughs> but I, w- I wish we'd come up with this at the time. I wanted to call it Funge.
0: Oh, see. Funge. Better late than never. Fun grunge. Fun grunge. It's right there. I, could just, I like it.
1: I could I like just it. go back in time.
0: Uh, we'll go in the Wayback Machine and, so we, just, and, and yeah. just implant it.
1: We made a whole bunch of funge, <laughs> and it turned out everybody wanted to eat, the, eat our funge. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it started out just to have fun, and we suddenly had seven major labels sniffing around, and we had to grow up really fast.
0: Well, So what was that like? I mean, because you guys were making silly songs in a time when people were making awfully earnest songs. Yeah. You must have stood out because of that, but you know what was it like when you started garnering that interest?
1: It was it was validating and completely disorienting. It was uh, like a like a um, really heady, beautiful experience because not only were people who were like the gatekeepers at the time, like radio stations and major labels, looking at us and saying you guys are worth paying attention to, but really it was the opportunity to stand up in front of more people and feel that kind of that crowd connection. As a songwriter, I've always felt like the song isn't the actual craft. The actual craft is making a room full of people elevate and the song is a tool to make that happen. And um, so with that in mind, elevating more people was a brilliant uh, outcome of all the attention we got. But then on the other, on the flip side, it's like, you know, those lazy days Jamming with friends in the afternoon, drinking beers, having a barbecue, watching Star Trek till two in the morning, smoking pot. Uh, Those were gone. You know, like it's get on a plane, get on a bus, work, 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 work. uh, Start your publishing company, uh, sign contracts, find a lawyer, find a manager, decide on a label, um, hire a tour manager. Blah, You know, just like this laundry list of grown up chores that obliterated the happy life that fueled the songs. So, Did
0: it take the fun out of funge?
1: Nah, to some degree, yeah. I mean, we I always used to say, we always used to say that the music was free. We got paid to wait around in airports and sleep sleep in strange beds and not see our families for months at a time, so um, that, that helped, that logic kind of helped for a while. But really, ultimately, even from the very beginning, I wanted to pull a Sex Pistols and just like break up immediately and just freeze the band in this perfect form and just be like, let's move on. You know, like, um, I think somewhere deep down, I knew the Presidents wasn't my final destination. And so I was anxious to get on to whatever that was. And
0: is this is Casper Baby Pants, the final destination?
1: Absolutely. I mean, for music, music. Absolutely.
0: What is the difference here?
1: Well, the way I describe it is like, or visualize it, is that the presidents and Casper have the same, if they were a planet, they have the same glowing core of innocence and fun and silliness, right? Casper is just that core. The presidents added a crust of adult innuendo, you know. The friction between that innocence and that innuendo is what made the presidents work. And unfortunately, that chemistry was something that I kind of had access to for a little while but then life changed and i lost that access which is why you know we have giant big record and then diminishing returns on following records because it was like you know the way i've said it before is like it was like a monkey painting a painting with its eyes closed and and the painting sells for five million dollars and all the art dealers are like monkey monkey paint it again and the monkey's like i don't know what i did (laughs) i had my eyes closed and i'm a monkey
0: uh-huh. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you a little bit here because you're a very prolific writer. I mean, whether or not the times change, and I, you know we've seen this time and again. It's like there, there's there's a, a perfect time and space for a record and a band to exist, and very few actually exist. You know, over decade after decade after oh, decade, yeah. because the, it, it's incredibly difficult to happen to guess right all the time. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the that the music or the records were not up to that $5 million painting by a monkey snuff.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. We we quickly learned that we were playing for the people who loved us. Not, you know, the first initial experience was let's grab the world. You know, like, let's, we've got all this power, radio, MTV, major labels. You know, at the time, those were the, the three jewels in the crown of sonic power. And we had all three and it was just like, but that's not sustainable. You know, we realized like, okay, we're just going to, really focus on the people that love us and, and give them more music. And I had kind of have Madonna to thank for that. She uh, gave me some career advice early on, which boiled down to basically don't wait, don't wait around for critical acclaim for what you do because you're fun and your music is funny, but I know it has a lot of craft to it. And if you get sucked into the idea that you have to maintain this certain level of intensity where you're, you know hitting on all cylinders uh, and pleasing everybody especially the critics mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be a very you're going to have a hard time it's a hard road so choose the path of least resistance be yourselves uh, ride this ride out and then settle in to to catering to the people who love you
0: mm. that's very similar so, to what uh, madonna told me actually
1: yeah, yeah she tells it to everybody it's yeah, yeah. not
0: right i mean she told me to great. to quit music cuz you're terrible so, I mean, it was similar, it was close, but, you know, yeah, it was path like, of least resistance. Trying,
1: she was trying to uh, uh, spare you the pain. Yes.
0: And I appreciate that about her. She is yeah, a caring yeah. person that way. Um, <laughs> were you, were you close with Madonna? I mean, like, or was this like, you know, no, backstage? No, a,
1: well, for a day, I was close with Madonna. Um, <laughs> we had a very special afternoon. Let's Aww. just put it that way. No, <laughs> I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. Uh, she, we, we got down to two labels, two labels, Columbia and Maverick, which was Madonna's label. So we had a very serious afternoon of, well, she came to see us the night before in LA. And then we had a, uh, you know, meeting with her to talk about whether we wanted to sign with her or not. And during that meeting, her then, uh, right-hand man, Gaio Siri, um, pulled out a cassette, as we waited for Madonna, he's like, well, listen to this new artist we just signed. And he put it in, and it was Alanis Morissette. Wow. And we didn't know, you know, at that point, if you're listening to a new artist, you don't know what their future is. It's like, hey, I have this new artist named, you know, Stubby, Stubby Blueberry Jumpy Pumpy. I hear great you know, that. Like, well, yeah. well, I don't care. <laughs> turns out Stubby Blueberry Jumpy Pumpy turns out to be like the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, I just heard so actually anyway, it's
0: Alanis Morissette's 25th uh i guess what is it 25th uh, anniversary of that uh, jagged little yeah. record is like this we year. just
1: had ours so it would yeah so sense. it'd be similar yeah anyway so bottom line, we, we came down to those two labels and we didn't know which one to choose and a couple factors uh, pushed us toward columbia but in retrospect if we had signed with madonna we would have been the stepchild to alanis morissette's raging success so we made the right choice
0: yeah so. that does make- that does make its own sense. Yeah. I'm kind of yes, curious that. when you were, when you were playing with the presidents and all the way till now, are you still playing with like just two strings on a guitar, two string, three strings on a bass? Yeah. Or is that still happening?
1: <laughs> in fact, I have right here still in, still in, uh, still in service.
0: Amazing.
1: The two string guitar that I played on the debut record. Wow. And it's a weird old Japanese kawaii guitar with one pickup and, um, yeah.
0: How did you wind up with this? I mean, what was the thought behind?
1: I can do it. has got that special little rubber bandy twang that's on that record. Um, well, I ended up with it because of actually the guy whose sticker I cut up and made the words Gur. It was uh, Mark Sandman from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, it was in a band called Treater Her Right, and then a band called Morphine that was much more well-known. He um, showed me the two-string way, and uh, it just clicked with me. Hold on. In fact, I have, still in service, the guitar that Mark had set up as a two-string. I have it set up as a three-string right now, but... He had this guitar set up as a two-string in his apartment, and I just picked it up and went, "Whoa, what is that? Feels so good. It feels so simple and primitive. And I can wear my influences on my sleeve, and you can't tell." Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I just it just felt right. It felt like home.
0: Do you have it tuned differently? Is it or is it tuned traditionally, but just the three strings?
1: Uh, no, it's they're tuned uh, root fifth root, so it's like D A D. That's a that's a weird keyboard I have over here. That's not that that is not how the two string three string sounds.
0: Um, yeah, so it's D A D root fifth root. And that just let you be simple and free with, 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 with the, the melodies that you were coming up with, and, and you were able to just sort of wail away on the guitars. Because you guys didn't do a ton of, of of like raging guitar solos and stuff like that. It was it was it was the band was like four on the floor. We're gonna drive through these tunes. It was generally. Yeah. How I recall
1: it. Although we genre hopped a lot. I mean, we have like jazzy songs, we have poppy songs, we have full-on like trying to be ACDC rock song. Um, we have groovy song. We had I've always been a kind of songwriter that does not settling on a genre. Like Lump was a four on the floor, bang, bang, bang. But then you got like Candy and Body and Dune Buggy, and these are all like little groovy, weird kind of rubbery songs. And then you got Mach 5, which is like me trying to sound like ACDC. And and basically every song, Lump was me trying to like, sound like the Buzzcocks. Um, uh, Feather Plucking was me trying to sound like Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule. Um, every song is basically me, again, wearing an influence on my sleeve, but it's going through a two string. So
0: comes out it's different. Me. yeah yeah <laughs> well and I and, and you've carried that forward into the casper baby pants world too because yeah. it's it, you know you are genre hopping left right and center oh yeah you know I mean it's it's just every song is different you have an entire record of, of Beatles covers and then you've got entire records of I mean no one record is is all the same stuff but I've heard blues stuff I was just listening to this sounds ridiculous because I wasn't listening to it with my three-year-old I was listening to what is it noodles That's what I want. noodles and butter <laughs>
1: Yeah, noodles and butter.
0: It's and it's. It's a great song.
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, we've I've joked a little bit around with the presidents guys about doing a split single where the presidents do Casper songs and Casper does president songs because yeah, they're in, a, in some level. They're I mean, Dune buggy could be a Casper song, easy, and noodles and butter could be a president song. You know saying about peaches why not noodles and butter
0: well I'm not really seeing the, a, a huge departure in other words like yeah I mean you you guys had a funny thing going on with the presidents you were a rock band playing to kids and you're and you're a kids band playing to adults and I mean it's it, you're covering a, a huge swath here and you know to me the fun is the thing as you're saying the funge is all still very much intact
1: yeah oh definitely I mean The reason that I write songs that are silly and kind of childlike is because I've discovered over the years that I am silly and childlike as my natural setting, just as a human being. And that took a long time to figure out. It took a long time to figure out who I am and how I want to live and how I want to be. And then once I figured that out, I could then make music that was exactly myself. And that's what Casper Baby Pants is. The President's is partly there, But it's also kind of me a little bit being somebody else so we're not quite settled on that like pure innocent childlike silly thing which is uh by all accounts how the dalai lama is uh conducting his life he's a silly guy he tells stupid jokes he laughs laughs easily um i i feel like once you get uh you know through the struggle of self-awareness you it's not atypical to land in a silly place so i guess i'm trying to show or yeah, show people what it sounds like uh, to be on the other end of the struggle and have arrived at your uh, destination of happiness, um, and that transcends age. You know, you can you can show that to a kid and you can show it to an adult, because you're just showing it to humans. You're not showing it to any particular human. You know, you don't. And and one the other thing I love about making kids' music is I don't I don't ever have to be cool again. I don't have to have to be perceived as being cool. I don't ever have to have a hit. I have no hits. I mean, I have hits within the community, but no like, you know, hits. <laughs> it's awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, that must be a huge weight off of your shoulders because back in the day, of course, there's that pressure. As you're saying, monkey, paint another, another fabulous painting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But there's a certain appreciation just in general for a song that comes across. Again, when I heard the first Casper stuff, I didn't know it was you. Oh, yeah. uh, I knew it was something that someone that my wife found and, and we had been listening, you know, a lot to, uh, you know, a combination of the Wiggles and um, the Frozen soundtrack over and over again.
1: Oh, Frozen. Yeah. I still have never seen Frozen.
0: It's, so. You know what? It's pretty good. You know, I, my, my sister is an actress and was, was Elsa on Broadway just before all of the oh. COVID stuff. So, you know, we went down and watched it. And, of course, it, you know, very much affected our two-year-old. And, um, you know, and she became obsessed with it. So. You know, when your aunt yeah. is a Disney princess, you, you know, you play the record of mine. <laughs> so, you know, we were desperate for for something that wasn't Frozen and wasn't Wiggles. And my wife found this. And I was just sitting there going, well, these aren't, they're kid songs, but they're not kid songs. They're, they're like, I, these are hilarious. Yeah. There's jokes, the penguin going to, moving to California. And, you know, I mean, like <laughs> just hilarious yeah. stuff. And, and like, that's why I looked you up and I can, that's when I figured I'm like, oh my God, it, it, it's Chris from Presidents. And I, I just I couldn't believe well, it.
1: Well, I, I like the joke that, um. I don't actually make kids music i make parents music but there's no genre called parents music so no
0: but this would that. this would start that for sure i'm
1: the, I'm the first parents <laughs> musician <laughs> i actually do a show on the side called casper adult pants and that's a, that's a show at a bar on a nighttime you know nighttime at a bar for parents only no children um People are drinking and I play Casper baby pants songs and make the crowd behave like toddlers and uh, do call and response and stuff like that. And maybe I'll slip in one president song at the end or something, but um, it's really, really fun. I turn up the distortion a little bit, turn up the volume, you know, it's more rocking, but it's just still just me with a guitar.
0: Can I make a request for bad blue Jay the next time you do that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 And so that's really fun. And people, I I mean, I, I did it. I sold out this club in Seattle. I didn't know if anybody would show up or if it would work or I've done it like three times now. And it's, Kind of awesome.
0: That's yeah. amazing. Well, and I'm yeah. not surprised. That's exactly what the, the music is. It, it's, it's like one of, those, uh, one of those animated movies that, you know, adults go, you know, it's, the kids love it, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there for the adults, too, for the parents. And that's how I think of your music. And, and, and you're alone in that category, because I don't know too many that are actually in that category.
1: Yeah, there's another, there's a pair of uh, so, a songwriting duo out of Canada called Big Block Sing Song. And they make, they make videos. They have a little two minute video. Their songs are all two minutes and they have these two minute videos and they all have the same look. There's somebody else that does what I do and they are phenomenal. I have been in touch with them. I've emailed these guys. I've been back and forth. I I wanted them to make a video for me, but they were like, well, our look is our brand. So we're not going to do that. But we have stayed in touch and I have so much respect for them. So check out. I I mean, you. you have a lot of, there's so there's two volumes of big block sing song videos. Uh, and they are, I listen to big block sing song in the car all the time. Uh, it's so good.
0: Do you ever, are, you, are you ever worried that you might, you know, you, you might start poaching their ideas. They might poach your ideas. I mean, well,
1: I actually, I have a song on one of my records called Moody Susan, and it's totally me writing a big block sing song. <laughs> song. It's the song that I wanted them to make a video for. And it's two minutes long and it's it very much has their vibe and uh, so yeah it's it's an homage it's an
0: homage yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not ripping off anything um, you know or covering them i'm just like again wearing my influences on my sleeve so
0: talk to me about inspiration you've written so many songs how many how many albums have you put out as casper in the last 10 years
1: i've put out 17 um, including two beatles cover albums two lullaby records a holiday record and the rest are just a mix of originals and traditionals um and then i have album number 18 called happy heart is coming out in a, just about a month november 13th that'll be my second pandemic uh record i'm putting out records during a pandemic because uh people need fresh stuff you know
0: is this where we do the whole i hope it goes viral that joke oh and... I'm going to cut that out Too soon. too, too soon?
1: soon. Yeah, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so album 18 comes out in about a month. Uh, and, um, then album 19, which is already done. I did album 17, 18 and 19 at the same time, right before the pandemic. And then, cause I was on a roll and I was just like, Oh my, this is all coming together. Here we go. And then I was like, I'm going to take a break after that. And then the pandemic shutdown happened and I was like, okay, I guess I really am taking a break. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, so album 19, I'm going to sit on theoretically until the pandemic is over and I'm back to doing shows. And then I'll release that as a celebration.
0: In the interim, you, you made a jukebox on your, uh, on your website. Yeah. You sat down and you just played 50 songs in a row and said, yep. feel free to remix these however you want at your kid's party or whatever else.
1: Yeah, they're, they're me in the studio here just playing the live versions of, of what I do live. All the, I have about an arsenal of, yeah, like 55 songs that I mix around for live shows. And uh, I didn't really want to do the whole live show on streaming kind of thing. It just, it seems like a facsimile of an experience. And I just didn't want to get re- deal with all the technology and... I needed a technology break really badly when things started so i was like i can't learn this so yeah i just recorded myself with my built-in mic and the laptop here in the studio and the idea is the families can go to the website or to youtube and find these videos and then they can order them however they want they can play stompy the bear five times if they want but it's really me playing the songs live so you get the sense of i you know i do the whole like all right kids during this song think about this or you know here's a we're going to do a call and response So it's interactive a little bit, and uh, and it, my families love it because they don't have to be in front of their computer on Friday at two p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They can just use it when they need it, uh, for as long as they need it. So I'm getting good feedback as far as it working to kind of be a you know band aid.
0: Yeah, it made a lot of sense. I, I was surprised at the idea just because so many people were touting the whole, you know, do an Instagram live, do a Facebook live, do a YouTube live, do live, blah live, live, live. And I'm like, people have stuff to do, especially right now when their kids are all at home.
1: Yeah, and frankly, I'm stressed out. I'm not doing 100% great during this whole thing. And I just don't really feel like I, I have a hard time imagining firing up the... I don't know, the skill the, the live show energy thing. I'm kind of I'm kind of struggling a little bit and I kind of wanna honor that struggle and kind of not be Mr. Happy Performing Dude during that. Um, so I'm thinking about ways. I'm thinking about maybe starting a thing where for a reasonable price, I'll Zoom call with your child on your birthday and play happy birthday and maybe a song or two maybe putting my toe in very lo-fi, but more one-on-one and less kind of, you know, trying to entertain a crowd
0: thinking about it. That's the thing. There's a lot of different ways, I guess that you could, you could reach out and still connect. And yet at the same time, yeah. like, give yourself a bit of a break because yeah. it's a, it, it is, it's a slog and people want, I'm sure lots of people want lots from you. I mean, it's just the way yeah. it is. You know?
1: I get, I've gotten really good at saying no.
0: <laughs> Which is excellent. Like you really kind of have to, I mean that's self-preservation. You've learned from years on the road, probably to say no. Yeah. I know a lot of folks over the years. I worked in music a, a thousand years ago with the uh, with the crash test dummies, and uh, at the early early stages, as I was coming out of university, and and they were a big deal back then, and they were good. But um, a lot of bands, hit, you know, hit tough times, you know, and they didn't know how to say no. They didn't know how to be on the road and be good to themselves. Yeah, I
1: mean, I kind of took, tore a page out of Pearl Jam's playbook after seeing that uh pj20 movie um i really was like wow those guys did a really good job protecting the core not even the band but just the core experience you know and uh so when the casper time came around i was like i want to do the same thing and you know i love saying yes though i say yes i say yes as much as i say no let's just say that you know
0: you pick your moments
1: yeah we didn't do that in the presidents we made our second record too fast and kind of got fell under the spell of the record label who wanted to capitalize on our momentum and our manager to her eternal credit said don't you gotta stop and we didn't stop and you know we just sort of like ran on fumes and crashed and burned (laughs) not like the crash test (laughs) but we crashed (laughs) and actually burned
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, twenty twenty oh. hindsight, you know how it is.
1: Yeah, well, there, yeah, there's uh, there's usable um, lessons from that, you know. Uh, like when I go back to playing shows as Casper, I think I'm gonna really stick to like theaters and um, seated venues and kind of like comfortable. Not, I'm not really excited to be outside in the blazing sun with sunscreen traveling up my crow's feet into my <laughs> yeah. eyeballs as I try to, you know, not get burned to a crisp and play the loudest possible songs for two children. Uh, <laughs> competing with a bouncy house and a clown, you know?
0: Yeah. You're not going to win that one most times. Let's be fair. The bouncy no, house is pretty I did play awesome.
1: Bunch, I did bouncy houses are like kryptonite to children's musicians, man. <laughs> oh my God. Not only if they don't deflate them, there's the noise of the fans, but then the allure of a bouncy house, I can't compete. I, mean, I did one show once that I did not, I did not know that this was the case with the show when I said, yes, but I did one show in Seattle in this big space on a large stage, and it's just me alone with my guitar, and it was a bouncy house festival, it turns <laughs> out. There were like 11 bouncy houses, and none of them were going to shut down while I played. And I got on the mic, and I was just like, ladies and gentlemen, this is Davy and Goliath. I am up against the most insurmountable odds. Can you please help me win the battle? <laughs> and I, did, I got a core group of people to uh, stick with me, but it was, it was a that's disheartening. It was a
0: do you find it tough to go from, you know, from arenas, from the, you know, the biggest stage. You guys were the, the biggest band out there. Are you, are you finding it an odd transition? Have you found it weird to play to children who may be more interested in a, a bouncy castle or a clown or face painting at the time? Is that tough to take or is that something that you're you've come 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 to peace with?
1: No, it, it the tough to take one was playing for pretty- tens of thousands of people on an abandoned racetrack in Germany where you can't see the end. That was weird. That was out of, that was out of a place or it didn't feel like a comfortable, you know, spot. I, so I came up, yeah, playing in the street, playing in coffee houses, playing for small crowds, engaging with small crowds. Even the early days of the presidents, the crowds were small. They were, you know, repeat customers knew our gags and we all had an interaction. Then trans, uh, translating that to a large stage was virtually impossible. You can't have banter with 50,000 people. So um, that shut down a certain part of the um, experience that I missed. So getting back to playing to, you know, a, a, a room full of 150 people uh, or even at the beginning of Casper playing for like 20 people in a fluorescently lit library meeting room <clears throat> was more thrilling than playing for a faceless nameless crowd cuz they're right there and you've got to engage and have a dialogue and you know <clears throat> like i said the songs are there to make the room elevate it's harder to elevate 50,000 people it's easier to elevate 50 you know so um, yeah it was more of a case of being a fish out of water during the rockstar times
0: you've said that that casper is sort of the this is the pinnacle this is this is what you want to do what are you hoping to to convey, to leave behind, what's what's what sort of a is there a legacy you're hoping to leave behind with Casper? Are you at the beginning, or are you rounding the bend with this?
1: Well, if I want to talk in the grand, in the dreamiest, grandiose sense, what I want to leave behind is music that saves. The, <clears throat> excuse me, I, <coughs> getting choked up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm joking, but I'm not getting choked up. I want to I'll leave behind music that saves the world. Meaning, I want my music, or I'm intentionally making music that helps. Is a, is a piece of the puzzle that helps a parent-child relationship be loving and empathetic and, pe- and peaceful. And it's a moment where like a parent and a child can share the same aesthetic experience. And so it's, uh, a, again, a piece of the bigger puzzle of children growing up in loving, empathetic, supported environments, thereby creating adults who aren't dealing with the PTSD that is associated with growing up feeling unsafe and uncared for and verbally abused or physically abused. That crop of humans, unfortunately, is um, kind of it's to some degree, permanently broken and can't be repaired a hundred percent. But if you nurture a little human from the beginning and tell them that they're safe and they're taken care of, and then that they're worth, um, you know, investing in, then you've got a healthy adult. So, and that's, I guess, how we're going to save the world. We need a crop of adults that are empathetic and can have the imagination to imagine their circumstance and someone else's at the same time, like to hold two different realities. Uh, It takes imagination. And sometimes I think our leaders do not possess that kind of imagination. So, um, you know, uh, I just, you know, I, I'm trying to do my part to save the world. And it sounds kind of like I'm Neo in the Matrix, but sometimes I feel like I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is pretty lofty goals, whether it's for children's music or music in general, or really for anybody. But who who put you on the path to doing some of the children's music? I, I, my understanding is that your wife is pretty instrumental in pointing you in a bit of this direction. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Sure. Her
0: artwork. Well,
1: I'll show you. I'll give you a sneak, exclusive sneak peek at the new art
0: nice this is a new record
1: yeah that's a new record coming out november 13th um her artwork uh really spoke to me and i just realized i wanted to make music that came from the same planet as her artwork um and so i did it was another example of wearing my influence on my sleeve imitating something that i admired and when i did it and listened back uh, i realized this is it it's it's kids music and um I immediately felt this, like, rush of relief. Like, I found it. I'm also, like I said before, like, no more hits, no more cool. Uh, It's a way of being in service to the world, like, saving the world through getting parents and kids to be in the same room with the same music instead of having to go to different parts of the house because it's an assault on the parent's senses. So it it just scratched. Oh, and also getting to sort of use old music, like old nursery rhymes and... Folk songs and prison work songs and uh you know call and response songs from way back in a new way, like having a connection to history, which is something that I always wanted but couldn't find really in pop music and you know alternative stuff, whatever you want to call it, what the presidents were doing. I mean there was some of that we had our country songs and our rock songs, but it was a little more tongue in cheek and now I kind of feel like I'm honoring those old sounds because. I feel like any old song that kind of exists still through oral tradition it does so because of a certain inherent human connection to that melody and so i like i like sort of dipping into that uh, trough and making something new so it scratched that itch it just scratched every itch and uh so i yeah i really have her artwork to thank for it and so that's why She's done the artwork for every single album, and we write songs together, and we do books together that have songs that go with them, and uh, so it's a real, like, symbiotic relationship in uh, so many ways. And oh, and by the way, her name her name is Kate Endel, E-N-D-L-E. If you go to kateendle.com you can have everything Kate Endel. Books, prints, magnets, notepads, uh, original art. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> like the link the will guys. be in the,
0: uh, in the show notes for sure. So definitely check it out. Cool, cool. When you say you guys are making these things together, are you guys the only ones making them together? Are you doing this all on your own? Like you've got you, Cause for lots of your music, you've got videos, you're recording oh, yeah. it. Are you doing, are you doing all the production at your, at your own house or by yourself? Is that who's doing it all?
1: In this room? Yeah. We're, uh, and in her studio. Yeah. We just, well, I mean, we have a publishing comp, uh, there's a publishing company called Sasquatch that publishes the books. Um, but album-wise, it's DIY all the way, which is another way that I have gone back to my roots and back to my true self. My, my initial experience making music was totally DIY, and uh, I'm back to it, and uh, I love it. I love being this the o-tour of my own destiny, as they say. Like I make all the critical decisions about album art. Uh, running order, I master the records, you know, I write and record the songs, obviously I engineer that I play all the parts with the exception of a few guest musicians here and there. And so yeah, it's it's a full on DIY thing. I run the distribution, uh, the promotion, the make the videos, uh, or hire out people to make them and collaborate with them. So yeah, that's another reason I think I needed a break after making three records at the same
0: time. I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my brain was fried. <laughs> a little burnout after that much output. Yeah. What do you do to kind of replenish other than when you say you're going to take a break and obviously take a break from the digital stuff it makes a lot of sense and, and from actual output, but what do you do to recharge?
1: Well, right now, and I've gone through periods of recharging before. This is a This is a cycle I recognize from my life. Like there's chunks where I just don't want to be goal oriented with music or anything like that. So I'm in one of those. I'm not, I, you know, I'm playing piano every day or guitar just to play just to, and that's a really hard fought place to return to because when the presidents hit it big, I could not just sit down and play something at a piano. I would get so wrapped up in, is this a hit? Am I, am I letting the greatest idea in the world slip by? Uh, and I'd get desperate about like collecting and cataloging, you know, little fragments. Um, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not recording anything. I'm just allowing myself to be in the moment, play. And then I'm doing visual art. I'm doing this black and white graphic kind of weird, silly totems uh, that I'm selling on my website, chrisbaloo.org. And all the proceeds from selling prints of those uh, artworks goes to Mary's Place in Seattle, Wellspring Family Services, and PEP's Program for Early Parent Support. So they all go to... Um, all the proceeds go to nonprofits that deal with families in crisis and parent education. So, uh, and I'm super into that. I went to art school, got a Bachelor of Fine Arts, didn't know what I wanted to do with art, so I did music, and now I have a voice with art, and I'm really, really enjoying it. So, uh,
0: is, is art something that you've come back to, or is that something that you were always doing in the background kind of a thing?
1: Uh, doodling
0: in the background, but I've definitely come back to
1: it, or I feel like I've arrived for the first time really, because when I was in art school, I did not know what these, I was doing some of the same shapes that I'm doing now, but I didn't know what they were, I didn't know why, what the context or the story of these shapes was, and uh, I figured it out, and now I know, and so it's, it's almost like another Casper Baby Pants experience of, like, arriving at a destination, like, oh, wow, whoa, I have a whole vocabulary, and it's very clear what I want to do, and how I want to you know uh communicate ideas through it and uh so it's just exploded um and i put up so i put up a new show of 30 drawings every two months on chrisblew.org and then there's an archive of all the previous shows you can check out but if you feel overwhelmed you can just check out the new one so yeah it's i i feel like i might be starting a third chapter uh a third uh phase as a visual artist but we'll see i'm not sure
0: You have kids, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, but they're older, right? They're not act, they're not toddlers or anything like that. You have
1: no, no, they're twenty three and nineteen.
0: So they would have been long since past sort of being interested in toddler kind of music when you started actually getting into music for under ten year olds.
1: Yeah, they were. Yeah, right. I mean, my target is zero to six year olds and their parents, but. They're they're into it enough because, like you said, it's just me trying to make music I like and has integrity and stuff. So on some levels, I mean, on this new record, Happy Heart, uh, there's one song that is based on a poem that Augie wrote when he was little. My daughter sings on three songs, I think, doing backup vocals. They're still involved, you know, like. uh, So it's
0: a family affair.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still involved even though they don't know Augie didn't know i did this song <laughs> based on his poem but um yeah uh and josie actually wrote she co-wrote a song a song called i don't remember this song <laughs> um, and ironically she doesn't remember coming up with it but i have an audio recording of her <laughs> and i making it up from when she was little and i i came across it one day and i was like oh i'm gonna finish that and uh so she's a co-writer without knowing she doesn't remember being a co-writer on a song about not remembering a song.
0: So this could be her college fund. Yeah. I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, I don't think so. College. (laughs) What's the biggest challenge dealing with all of the different elements of this and doing the creative components of it? Because you're awfully prolific. I mean, not just in terms of this volume, there's also a huge amount of quality. You're doing all these videos. You're doing all of these uh, performances you're doing now you're doing visual art as well. You know, how, how do you find time to do any of the business side of this stuff or do you do the business side of that stuff? Is that mostly farmed out?
1: I do it, but I I do it to a bare minimum, you know, like I, I don't do as good a job maybe at bookkeeping and that kind of stuff. And I'll screw up booking shows every once in a while. I'm not the greatest booking agent in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but lately I have discovered, I, you know, to avoid getting into sort of a frantic mode, like I'd be in the studio frantic, but then I'd also look at my computer and be like, got to solve this business problem. Ah, no, I got to play this key, this the accordion part. <laughs> and I would get all like crazy. And, uh, so I've learned how to, um, just turn off the, when the creative comes knocking, I turn off the business stuff. I just wait. It can wait. So it's just a matter of like, um, I, you know, because I used to want to reach the end of every day with like a completely clear desk, you know, like no uh, open tickets, as they say in the uh, in the world of business. Uh, but I realized that's just not possible. I got to leave a bunch of open tickets on the table at the end of the day, and they'll be there in the morning, and you will die with a full to-do list, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not
1: like you're going to be like, well, I did everything I had to do. I'll just Time wait to die. Yeah. <laughs> I just wait around for the next forty years to pass away. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you on the, on the social medias, the media, the mediums?
1: Not really. I'm not. Not. I mean, I'll go on an occasional deep dive on all my old uh, college friends and what they're doing. They, we have our own site uh, that the era of people I went to school with in the like mid '80s have a Facebook page, and so that's kind of fun every once in a while. But uh, Jen and I don't, you know, you can send me a Facebook message and I'll see it in six months because I check my messages maybe twice a year, you know.
0: So these aren't places that you're, you're using, you're not promoting your stuff heavily on? Oh so-and-so. yeah,
1: that's all I use them for. If I didn't use Facebook uh, to promote my stuff, I wouldn't use it at all. Um, same with Twitter. Now, Instagram, I like because Instagram feels like a, a, a rolling art show. Like I put my art up there and I can get feedback. It's almost like, it's almost like having a, being in art school and doing a critique, you know, where you put your work up and a bunch of people sit and talk about it. It's a little bit like that because I can kind of gauge by reaction, like what's resonating with people. And what's not and that's super useful because i'm really not shy about asking for opinions in the beginning of the casper baby pants thing for the first four records i sent um cds out to 40 test families and i got feedback basic stuff like just yes no and maybe or indifferent you know like no reaction like, yes no, yes this you should quit yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no this song didn't really resonate with us and this song is um you know we didn't uh, it didn't make an impression one way or another um and so i did that for you for you know a couple years until i inherited a sense of like okay i know what's working and what's not and now i don't need to do that but i read a book about sesame street they did that in in um the beginning of that show they uh, got children in a room with a bunch of toys it's kind of like the bouncy house thing there's a bunch of toys in one end and then there's the tv with sesame street clips on it in the other end and they 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 tweaked those clips until they drew the kids away from the toys to what they wanted to you know what they were trying to do on the show so anyway i feel like for creative people don't be shy about uh asking for real reactions from a lot of people you know don't be afraid of something you're proud of not working because nobody cares like i i would get so caught up with like oh i use this funky chord in this song i use this chord and and like nobody cares about that chord they only care about the the like sort of broad stroke of the song right is the song getting them uh and so you have to be ruthless in the end uh if you really if you really want to connect with people you have to be a Ruthless editor of your own egotistical connection to your creative output.
0: <laughs> That's true. Some of the best folks I've ever worked with, um, be it on video and film side or, or in advertising, they are their own harshest critics. And, and it's not so much that they're hard on themselves. They're hard on the work. They are insistent that it be excellent. And if it's not excellent, then then it, there's nothing that's sacred. They'll throw yeah. something out. They'll change something. They'll go a different direction with it. And they'll see if there's something better there. You don't always have to see the end result. But you have to know that there's another option, another direction to go and see if that's worthwhile exploring. And Because some, sometimes you're making this stuff in a vacuum. Yeah. you know,
1: I know. It's tricky. Uh, and it takes time when you're in a vacuum. Like me working alone, I need lots of time. Like- in fact, I haven't listened to the 19th album, which was the one that will come out after the pandemic. I'm not going to listen to that album until it's a, like maybe a month away from sending off for duplication. And then I'm going to see if it really works because uh, I'll listen to it with fresh ears and I might be like, eh, no, 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 you no. Know, that's not going to work. <laughs> but I'll be a lot more open to it when I forget about all the work it took to, to make it. So time is a huge... Factor. Yeah, thinking.
0: it's good to take a little bit of a break from that thing that you've that you've devoted so much intense time to, and then come back to it and and see if it's still hitting you, or if it's hitting you in a new and different way. I notice you're saying that you're pressing records. Are you pressing vinyl? You're pressing CDs?
1: Yeah, I have vinyl. Um, I have two. Let's see, two, three, three collections. I did Casper Baby Man's kind of like I did one called Fun Favorites, Happy Hits, and Best Beatles. So it's kind of like. Uh, little collections of sort of the most popular songs. And I actually went back and looked at the feedback from my uh, uh, test families for some of that, in to figure out some of that. And I looked at you know, which songs have been downloaded the most. I really looked at, like, people's reaction. And then I just went with some that I really like. So I kind of mixed it together. But, yeah, so there's three vinyl collections out. Uh, and they're rare. I think the first two are out of print. Uh, Be- uh, Best Beatles is still in print. Uh, but you might be able to find them. Uh, Easy Street Records is a record store in my neighborhood that does my vinyl um, selling and shipping for me. So, go to Easy Street online and see if you can find that Casper vinyl. But do it fast because it is running out and it's very limited. I only did f- I did five. Let's see, I did 500 of the first two fun favorites and happy hits, and I only did a thousand of best Beatles, and that's
0: it. So all in all you you seem like an awfully uh lazy person who doesn't get a lot done. Yeah. Uh, what keeps you motivated honestly? I mean, you're you've done so much, you've accomplished so much. You've reinvented yourself at least twice and perhaps you're on the way to even a third iteration. Yeah. What's keeping you going? What's keeping you plowing forward and 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 interested in continuing to put things out into the world?
1: Well, uh it's the it's being in the moment and being creative just sitting down and drawing is it's like, I'm a kid again, you know, I'm just sitting and drawing, you know, it's just a very simple thing for a human being to do that kind of turns on your mind and makes you feel alive. And then it's a matter of, well, so that's the motivation is just being in the moment and being creative. Then I look at the stuff and be like, well, is it shareable? Can I, is it, does it have enough integrity to, to be worth someone's time. You know, I, I really am, have always been super allergic to mediocrity. I just feel like cluttering the world with more kind of just noise for the sake of noise or visuals for the sake of visuals is unnecessary. It's just too much. (laughs) So I, I, I really hold myself up to my doing my best and it may still be mediocrity compared to, you know, others in the field or whatever, but, um, once I've done my best, I feel like I can release it into the world. But the the journey up to that point where I decide it's ready to go out is just about being in the moment and happy pushing a pencil around, you know? So I, I don't think that will ever fade. Um, there's that great... Have you seen... Uh, a, what's the movie about the guy that loses consciousness and comes back from uh, some experience? He comes back from like... a a car accident experience and the Beatles don't exist
0: oh uh Uh, yeah um yesterday yesterday is that that what it is yeah
1: yeah in in that movie there's that scene where he and spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen it but there's uh, a scene when he he tracks john lennon down who was never assassinated because he was never that john lennon and he tracks him down in this little shack on a kind of windswept beachy uh piece of land and he's just in there doing little doodles and watercolors and he's got, you know, art supplies around and he's not doing it for anybody. He's just doing it. And I cried at that moment in the movie. Cause number one, it's so beautiful to imagine him alive. And number two, is that portrayal of an artist just doing something for the sake of doing it. It's beautiful. Like in the middle of nowhere.
0: <laughs> Welling up right now. I'm a little yeah. Plus plus
1: Today is the today is the dude's 80th birthday, and I actually happen to have a snapshot of John Lennon from August of 1980. Wow! While he's making Double Fantasy, there's Yoko, and that guy was a friend of a girlfriend of mine in in college. And he gave her this picture, and she gave it to me. So this is a a one-of-a-kind picture of John Lennon holding court in the lounge of the studio where they were working. I figured out it was August because there's a copy of Billboard magazine right there. And I got a magnifying glass. Or Actually, I turned a pair of binoculars backwards, which makes a um, a very intense magnification. And I found that issue of Billboard. It's August 1980. So I think this is sometime in August or September. And what's eerie about the photo is there's a... um, a, a sort of an error or whatever in the developing, which is all these streaks which look like blood.
0: Yeah, they're kind of rolling off the page, right off of yeah, his shirt, and it's rolling like off the. Re,
1: it's it's re, kind of weird. eerie. So this is a talisman that I keep in my studio. It's like a picture of John Lennon nobody else has, <laughs> and it's his 80th birthday today. So happy, birthday, happy John. birthday, John! Yeah, yeah, wild. Maybe that's why I was feeling extra weepy. know. <laughs>
0: Aww.
1: Oh, yes, poor John,
0: poor John. It's a great movie. It was, it actually was a, it was, a, it was a better movie than I thought it was going to be. Truthfully, I thought it was going I've, to be I've silly. Yeah.
1: I've watched it twice and I, I'm sure I'll watch it again.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's a lot better. It's a lot better than it, than it, than it, than the trailer shows it to be. Like right. it, it looks quirky and silly, like, uh, uh, you know, but no, it's actually pretty good. But I, that makes sense. Cause who directed it? I can't even remember right now, but like, I don't know. Yeah, no. I think oh. it was anyway, I'll, I'll look it up. But yeah, I mean I think it was a we'll pretty A-list director, I'm fairly certain. What is it called? Here I'm gonna look oh. up quickly. Yesterday. George Lucas, movie. maybe? <laughs> but no, but like like that though. Um Not really. Yeah. Uh, Danny Boyle. Yeah. Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle directed, yeah. it's a big big time. Did directing. he
1: make Batman movies? No. Okay. I
0: don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Danny Boyle made the standby. Danny Boyle made. Did he make Batman movies? No. He made uh, Train Spotting, Shallow Grave, The Beach, Twenty Eight Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, um, ah, Yeah. So okay. he's you know he's 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 that guy. He's,
1: um, he's a heavy hitter.
0: Yeah. He's a he's a big guy. So I mean, you knew the movie was gonna be crafted well. Like I, I just I thought it was a very yeah. light subject matter, and then it turned out to have a nice, interesting message, and yeah, I quite liked it. But
1: yeah. just that that moment alone, him finding John Lennon, was again just so worth the price of admission. I loved it. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs>
0: So, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's interested in getting into music, interested in getting into children's entertainment, or for that matter, even interested in reinventing and just doodling a little bit and doing their art?
1: Well, I'd say the first thing you need to do is know yourself. Like, um, what do you, you know, I always think of it as like this exercise where you sit in the moment, like right now, and you say, is this good for me or bad for me? Like, yes or no? Am I feeling it or not feeling it? Okay, I'm, I'm not feeling it, so I'm going to do something else. So like, I, if I was really not feeling it right now, I'd be like, I'm not doing any more podcasts. This is not something I want to do. It doesn't help me. I feel bad doing it. I don't. I feel good doing it. <laughs> I'm
0: taking this so, person. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, the idea is like you sit in yourself and, and check in as you navigate through environments and people and collaborations and ideas even – How do you feel about it like say you have an idea like oh maybe i want to design furniture so let's get out some paper i'm going to do some drawings about it how do i feel while i'm doing this drawing is it good you know i'm not i'm not feeling it okay no so keep looking for the yes turn off the yes fork as you experiment and don't be shy about experimenting with things you might feel are too far of a stretch for you try it anyway and just check in with yourself so if you have a dialogue with your your intuition you can try a bunch of shit and see if it works and find the places where you say yes and then follow those and then get finer and finer point on it like well do i want do i do i like this kind of blue or that kind of blue you know and if you if you don't use your head as much but you use your interior messaging you'll figure out the answer and it may not be the answer you want all the time but it's the truth <laughs> The truth coming from you as a human, not you as the story of yourself. Coming from inside, like how do you feel inside yourself? At ease, not at ease, right? Yes, no. So you take enough yes forks and you reach eventually what I like to call, wait for it, because this is going to be the title of my self-help book. <laughs> you reach your yes donation.
0: Nice. You heard it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Chris Baloo's Yes Destination to World Tour coming to a town near you. I like it. Uh, yeah, I like it too. Your Yes Destination. So um, yeah, and I've reached my Yes Destination, and that takes a long time. And it takes maybe you don't get the yes or no answer until you're deep into something. You know, you might get deep into the long road of work toward a goal before you actually reach the goal, and then look at it and go, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's why being at ease in the moment is so important because if you do that if you do the whole arc and the answer is no but you enjoyed the arc then at least you have that it's like the robert altman school of filmmaking his idea is let's just have a party and we'll make a movie and at the end we either have a brilliant movie or a terrible movie you know but we had a great time and, and really, having a great movie or a terrible movie is to some degree out of my hands, right? I just have to enjoy the moment. When I get there, it was either brilliant or not. And um, there you go. So that's my advice <laughs> to people. To all people, not just creative people. I mean, everyone.
0: So, Chris, where can people find you?
1: Uh, YesDenation.com. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, we got BabyPantsMusic.com for all things Baby Pants. We got chrisbalu.org. It's b-a-l-l-e-w.org for art and meditation music that's free that I've made, and sampledelic music, which is this silly electronic music that I made for like ten years. It's all free, and and the prints of the artwork are on sale to benefit nonprofits. And then uh, what was the other one? Uh, I think that's it. Oh, and kateendel.com, my wife's stuff which is amazing if you if you need to if during these pandemic times you want to redecorate the baby's room bam uh so there you go those are the three and kate endel is and endel i thought her name was engel when i first met her so
0: <laughs> it's good you got have got it right now endel. after you've married all these years yeah <laughs> yeah
1: what's weird is there's a uh, auto body shop or kind of a gas station slash auto repair place on bashton Island where we live called Angles. Every time we drive by Angles, I'm like, look, it's Angle with a G. And she's like, Angle with a D. So we're still figuring that out.
0: <laughs> You'll get it in the next 10, 10 15 years. Yeah,
1: marriage. we'll figure it out. I've been married 10 years. we we'll figure it out. <laughs>
0: nice. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us how you make a living.
1: My pleasure. Yeah. I, I hope uh, it was useful.
0: Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.